Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Newman. I'm Professor of Space Law and Policy at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. I'm also International Space Law Advisor for Cold Star Technologies. I listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Canigan is a member of its Board of Advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out what we can achieve together with your Lean Six Sigma or Operational Excellence programs. And check out opexsociety.org to learn more. Today I'm really excited that we have Paul Rokens returning to the Cold Star Project. Paul's on a couple years ago. He is a high-performance culture expert, author of The Power of Preeminence, and also How Successful Engineers Become Great Business Leaders. Very important stuff. Uh, I actually have my own copy of The Power of Preeminence, but it uh, <laughs> didn't stay with me very long. A friend of mine wanted to borrow it, and uh, as far as I recall, it's still on his shelf. It may have been lent out to somebody else. So these words are very important. Okay, Paul founded Agrippa Consulting, and we talked about that last time, where that name came from. This episode, we're talking about challenges and, and wins that you can get in managing high-performance people. It is not easy. Okay. There's a, a Kevin Broman, I think his name is. He, he writes stuff about uh, this sort of thing all the time, where the Deadwood loves you, right, in the office. They're your buddies. They come around. The high performers, not so much. They're always pushing the envelope and kicking in the teeth and stuff like that, trying to get stuff going, stuff happening, right? And uh, maybe not so excited about following every single process since we've done it this way um, from the beginning of time, right? Maybe it's time to change it. But what Paul has to share about leading and managing high-performing people, really valuable stuff. Paul, welcome. So today we're going to, oh, and for the sharp-eyed amongst you, you will note that Jason has shaved his lip and is trying to look like a Mentat. Uh, today, <laughs> I was told by somebody I was on a DI uh, a defense innovation unit call earlier, and they said, "Don't worry about it; uh, it's not that bad." So, Paul, we're here today to talk about managing smart people. But in order to do that, I think we've got to take a step back. Uh, and this is probably great as a reminder, anyway. As far as like your focus is high performance culture, and so what does that phrase mean for Paul Rolkins? Yeah, uh, J- Jason. Uh, high performance for me means uh, uh, the following, the consistent realization of big goals with the least amount of effort. And so it is about consistency. It's about big goals. It's about the least amount of effort. And if, if you think about high performance, you need all three, yeah? because if you are consistent, big goals, but it is not with the least amount of effort, you're working hard, right? That's no, there's no end of the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, if you uh, achieve big goals with least amount of effort, but you're not consistent, you are a one-day wonder. And if you're consistent uh, and you achieve goals with least amount of effort, but they are not big, uh, well, you're wasting your time. So for me, high performance, these three elements, consistency, thinking big, and achieving goals with least amount of effort. Okay. Very succinct. <laughs> He's been doing this a while, folks. So. <laughs> Which which reminds me, I, I bought your book, Power of Preeminence. It is actually sitting on the bookshelf of a good friend of mine. And I see it when I go over there because uh, I've read it and he's read it. And uh, that's probably the best spot for it. So I, I highly encourage people to go find that book and buy it uh, because it, it sums up a lot of what you've been saying. So, right. you know, the target that we're aiming for then is, is this consistency, big goals, least amount of effort. And so that's kind of how you would know when you're in it. That this is right. not a standing still thing. It's a continuous 
ongoing thing. Uh, I, I often talk to business owners or, or chief executives who seem to have this idea, and I unfortunately have to be the, the bad tooth fairy, I guess, I kind of dissuade them from it or, or cancel that idea for them, that they're going to catch up. If only they could figure out a system, they would catch up on all the work. And my opinion is there is always more work. You're never actually going to catch up. And so you have to be extremely selective on, uh, on what you put your energy towards. Um, so say we've got a, a business owner who's got who has taken the time to do some goal listings, right? And they are big and, and they are ongoing and they are trying to do them with the least amount of effort, but how can they filter a little better or, or prioritize? Yeah, the, um, uh, here's the thing. If you talk about um, uh, high performance and building high performance organizations, in the end, it's not about the difference between, in, between doing good things and bad things. Uh, it's the difference between doing good things and the best things. And that's the key challenge for business yeah. owners, for executives, for professionals, um, which is to take a look at what are, am I doing? What is the good stuff? But sh what should I be doing, which is the best stuff? So making that distinction. Yeah? So if you think about that and make that distinction, then the next step uh, is uh, is to step away from the the more better faster idea, mm. uh, but focus on I call the strategic quitting, uh, which is to take out everything uh, which might be the good stuff, uh, but uh, is not the best stuff. And once you you take out the activities and the projects and all all the things that you are doing which is good but not best, you free up the time and the money and the energy to focus on the big goals and to do the best stuff. Uh, so mm. that's the that's the, the philosophy behind uh, behind uh, behind high performance. And in the end, it all ties into the goals uh, that you want to achieve. If you set goals for yourself, uh, you need, you know you need to do different things huh? because what has got you here will no longer get you there. So it's about doing different things, focusing on the best stuff, but first getting rid of good stuff. Okay. So how often should the, the senior team be reviewing this list and these priorities uh, to see? Because it's, it's a moving target, like you say, right? You achieve something, uh, it's just like nations. As soon as they reach a certain level, they're no longer satisfied with their strategic goals. They go, well, we can do more, so let's aim higher. Yeah, yeah, and that is the catch twenty two of professional life. Eh? The better you get, the better you better get, right? Because there's always a next goal eh? if you if you think about it. Now that in itself is not a bad thing because achieving goals can be a, a very energetic thing, right? It's 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 the basis of happiness and eh? the consistent realization or the consistent progress towards worthy goals, eh? which is what happiness is all about. Now, if you talk about the review process. What I say uh, is from an individual point of view, it's important every day to review your goals. That must be top of mind. If you then talk about uh, leaders and executives, uh, make sure that the big goals are always part of any management team meeting that you have. So what is it that we're trying to achieve? How do we get there with the least amount of effort? But most importantly, what is it that we're going to quit? And asking these three questions on a consistent basis will really help uh, leadership teams to move towards high performance. Okay, so more often than you think, <laughs> it's probably yeah. the answer. Not certainly not once a year. Is uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's um, yeah. yeah, it's more often than you think, but uh, but less often than you are afraid of, right? Okay, yeah, I mean there is a lot of fear that comes with this, and oh no, another meeting, and we're just going to get bogged down. 
in uh, in talking through options. Ooh, okay. Well, right. people should hire you if uh, they want to get the framework and be led through that process. I would imagine that would be something that Agrippa would be very good at your company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's move on then. Now that we've defined what uh, kind of a, a high performance culture looks like, you've talked about a success environment. Um, we've, we've, we've covered that a little bit in that we're trying to go faster towards best rather than gradually improve good, let's say, right? Um, and, and you've talked about also, it, and if people, if you're not on uh, Paul's email list, I highly recommend you go to his website and, and get on it. Uh, you'll get these great tidbits at two in the morning in the US uh, that I love receiving. So let's talk about managing smart people in this environment. First of all, what percentage would you typically find smart people in organizations? Is that the same thing as high performers? Uh, not necessarily. Mm. <laughs> smart and high performance are two different things, right? And uh, for me, for me, uh, smart is not so much defined by intelligence, uh, but it, I, I define those as experts in their field. Uh, so so that, that requires a, a, a certain smartness. <laughs> People are very smart. They tend to be experts in their field. Uh, now, if you look at organizations, and of course, this 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 uh, this has a, a big variation uh, between organizations. But uh, what you typically see in organizations is that you have a lot of specialists. People are very good at what they do. Right? Typically, what you encounter in, uh, mm. in especially the bigger corporate uh, corporate organizations. So it's not about, I would say, a percentage, uh, but it's about the, the the organization itself, what the organization does, and the specialism needed in order to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what I found is uh, uh, every time I work with, with my clients and they, they tend to be uh, the, the bigger corporations, uh, there's a significant amount of very smart people, uh, experts in the field. They're doing very well what they are doing. And the question is how to lead them if you're not an expert yourself. Right. Uh, which is, yes, the reason for this conversation. <laughs> Folks, yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul sent out one of his uh, newsletter type emails. They're very brief. Um, I, I shouldn't call them newsletter, but I think that's what you call them. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but they're very easy to digest. And it was about this topic several months back. And I was like, oh, let's get let's get on the calendar here and book this. And you were nice enough to do that. So, all right. Uh, so managing smart people, I you know, you you bounce back uh, to the the manager of these smart people with this quote: "Only small chunks of your own time matter." <laughs> let's discuss that because I'm like, oh no, you know, we, we have this idea uh, of, of Pareto's law, the 80-20 rule, and it might even be more like 98% slash 2% of the activities, the firefighting, the, the stupid stuff we get distracted with. Most of it doesn't matter. And, and yet, how do we apply this concept as leaders of smart people? The, the well, the the the, uh, the idea behind it is that that over ninety five percent of our decisions in the end do not really matter, and they they do not contribute uh, significantly to achieving the big goal. It's only a, sm a small amount of decisions which truly matter, and that's that's where this this chunk thinking comes from. Yeah. Now, um, if if you if you frame this in the context of high performance, if you frame this in the context of leading high people, there are a couple of things. Uh, where you as a leader can make a difference. And this is where decisions really come into play, right? where the small chunks, where the small chunks matter. And uh, the, the, the basic idea here uh, is to focus on those decisions uh, which will help you uh, to get rid of all the obstacles which prevent you from being successful leading smart people. Yeah? 
So uh, it's not so much about doing new things, but about getting rid of the stuff which is not helping, right? Okay. And uh, I, I give you give you one example. Uh, uh, if you if you lead a group of smart people, I've <laughs> had the experience as well. Uh, I was I think twenty or twenty five years ago. I I started a a job as an as an engineering manager. Now I, and I'm an engineer myself. So, I know something about engineers, yeah. but in that in that group there were IT specialists, there were uh, electronic specialists, there were software specialists, which is very far from my field. Yeah. And my my first instinct was uh, okay, I need to dive into those fields in order to be a a partner, so I can I can talk to those people at 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 least a certain level, right? But what you quickly find out is uh, that is a lost cause, uh, and the reason is that. Uh, people become specialists by spending a lot of energy and time uh, to get very deep, deep, deep knowledge. And this knowledge cannot be gained very quickly, right? So, so there's no light at the end of the horizon. So very soon I realized, wait a second, I need to have a different conversation with those people. So step away from uh, trying, trying to, uh, to understand the subject matter to much more creating a success environment for these people to succeed. And in the success environment, what does it mean for me as a leader to help them and help myself uh, make uh, make better judgment? So that's where this success environment comes from, uh, making that happen. Now, uh, if you talk about the success environment, a couple of things are important, uh, especially when you work with 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 very smart people. First of all, uh, it's important to to be able to talk about common goals. Okay. Yeah? Uh, so driving commonality, this is what we want to achieve, and this is how your specialism will play a role in achieving it, is a very com- important conversation to have all the time, uh, time and time again. The second thing is uh, to, to ensure that if you, if you lead a team to speak with one voice, uh, one voice as a team, uh, if you make a decision in a team, uh, inside a team you can have discussions, whatever you want, but outside the team, speak with one voice. And this is what we have decided. So uh, this also makes a specialist uh, comfortable uh, yeah. that whatever is being discussed inside is not translated to the outside world where he or she uh, can be uh, can be uh, can be hurt by it. Right. Yeah. Uh, here's the third one. Uh, the third one uh, is to uh, to help your team to ask and give help. And this is very important for specialists yeah. because a specialist, especially in deep knowledge. They, they not always tend to accept that their specialism does not necessarily translate to other fields as well. Right? If you're a very good software engineer, uh, the, your, your, uh, your, your skill in project management might be lacking. I mean, it's, that's a very different skill. Yeah? So, so asking and giving help is a very important part of the team. Um, number, number four is accelerate success, uh, for, especially for, 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 for specialists. Uh, success whenever they've done something uh, which is uh, which is uh, which is excellent help them celebrate this gives energy and fifth and perhaps that's one of the most important one uh, 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 never punish people for making small small mistakes on their way to achieve big goals oh. yeah uh, so uh, if you as a team decide we're going to achieve these big goals as a specialist you can make small mistakes uh, that's the nature of the game we're doing stuff that has never been done before so we accept mistakes, we anticipate mistakes, yeah, as long as they are small, on a way to achieve goals. And those are five elements uh, which will help to create a success environment for specialists. Hmm. Okay. There's a lot to think about there and unpack. Um, the, the first thing that I thought of was, how do you get these guys, these smart people, to ask for help? 
when they're stuck uh, that they're often quite egotistical uh, <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> and uh, you know they, their identity is really wrapped up in this subject matter expertise uh, how do you get them into a situation where they're okay with asking for help the, uh, <laughs> the the trick trick as leader to, is to role model this behavior yourself okay uh, so so if you are a leader who uh, who is a role model of asking help uh, to the specialist and mm -hmm. to others, uh, what you tend to see is that they automatically start to embrace that behavior as well. And, and the simple rule of management here is that the minimum behavior you show yourself as a leader is the maximum behavior you can expect from other people, right? Okay. And uh, so if you increase your own minimum, uh, your mm -hmm. asking help minimum, uh, the, the, the behavior of the rest will follow as well. So that's the key uh, to, uh, to, uh, to helping people, specialists understand that um, uh, their, their value creation is not about being right, but their value creation mm -hmm. is about being effective. And that's the, the big distinction between the two. Okay. Um, regarding your fifth point, I have friends of friends who work in banks and they can be fired for making a $500 mistake. And it's, that's ridiculous to me. Right. Uh, I know plenty of founders, myself included, who shovel money out the door by accident all the time. And we get to learn from it because it's hard to fire yourself. Uh, but you know, in that kind of a situation where I guess, you know, an ossified uh, industry and client isn't really ideal for Paul. <laughs> but, you know, have you been in that kind of uh, situation where you've seen things like that? Uh, and do you, is that a fight worth, worth uh, going after? Or do you just leave it alone? The, 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 what you mentioned about the banks, the yeah. fact that it happens typically in banks also means that very few banks are at the forefront of innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why. Now, uh, if that happens in organizations, it's, it's disastrous for your culture, uh, because this creates a culture of fear, right. uh, which for me translate in a culture which is playing not to lose, right? Mm. Uh, so whenever you, you enter a game, you play not to lose, play not to make any mistake, uh, which, is, uh, which is not helping if you want to, want to go further. Uh, so you want to play to win. Now, if I encounter a situation like that, uh, typically you have two, two scenarios. The first scenario is, um, uh, is uh, hey, I, I see what is going on. This is what happens. Do you realize what happens to your culture? And are you happy with your innovation power? And if not, this is the reason why. How can we help and how can we work together? And if they are open and sometimes people don't realize what they are doing, of course, you can help them change their behavior. But sometimes it's also part of this is the way we are, right? They are so in love with our own culture. They are so in love with not making mistakes because we have been doing this for 50 years. Uh, that changing that is uh, is impossible. And my philosophy is some costs are made for shipwreck. So it's better to use my time somewhere else if I see that. Right, right. Okay, yeah. So that is an indicator for you to uh, steer away, perhaps. Steer away, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, you mentioned also telling people like the goal or the target um, of why we're here over and over and over again. And uh, people might push back at that saying, well, what do you mean? It's at the top of the, the project plan. We know, we, know it's a, we know what we're here for. Uh, I'll go back to Robert Kaplan talking about this. this. is a great video on YouTube. He was at the Kansas City Public Library for some reason, which has a great YouTube channel for some weird reason, uh, where he mentioned this. He said, you should be 
talking about your values so often that your employees begin to mock you. <laughs> and the reason for that was uh, you can't be everywhere all the time and you can't be available all the time to answer questions about, well, what do we do? Right. And so your sales team or your operations team, they have to know what to fall back on when you're not around. And uh, these values are so important. And so it just it just made me think about that. And I had to come up with his name, but, uh, you know, it finally showed up in there <laughs> after a minute. So, yeah. Um, so so, yeah, folks, don't be too resistant of saying, OK, I'm going to say this again. Uh, I said it twice, you know, no, 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 <laughs> your people have not heard you, <laughs> even if you said it seven times, right? I think they may have just begun to start hearing it, you know, after seven times. So look for them making fun of you. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they, you're, you're doing right, right? Yeah. When they start to mimic your behavior, you're right. doing it well. Right. In the end, you want people to be your ambassadors, right? The ambassadors mm. of the company talking about those goals. And uh, what I found is that that goals is like an onion. You start to peel those goals, but you will never reach the core. The, the, the core. There's always another layer. Yeah. And so it's important to continue to talk about those goals. What does it mean? What do we want to achieve here? Digging a little deeper. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about you're leading a group of smart people. How do you? And this is this is a way to add value, according to you, Paul. <laughs> I think so. I think I agree. Uh, add value by verifying that the smart people on the team are thinking accurately. What do you have to do to do that? The uh, the, the trick is to uh, uh, to challenge them while at the same time uh, building on their strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, to challenge them, I, I I use a couple of questions to typically to challenge very smart people, especially when I'm mm -hmm. not a subject expert. Uh, here's, here's, one, here's one key question. Uh, uh, the, the, the key question is, uh, uh, what, what, what are the assumptions uh, behind this statement or this proposal? Uh, tell, tell me the assumptions. And, and when people can elaborate on the assumptions, it, it clearly means they've given this enough thought, right? Uh, the second question is, what needs to happen for you to be wrong? Yeah, what needs to be happen for you to read on? So if you have this proposal, proposal, if you say this is the truth, yeah, what data point will tell you that you were wrong? Now, there's an interesting question because if the, if the answer is there's really no data point which will tell me that I'm wrong, then you're not dealing with an expert, but this is more like religion. Yeah? It's, it's a fundamental truth. Yeah, so unless they can point out, hey, if I see this data point, then I'm wrong. It also means they've given this enough thought, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the third one uh, is, um, uh, is, is another question, is uh, uh, what's the worst thing that can happen if you're wrong? What's the worst <laughs> right. thing that can happen if you're wrong? Yeah? And, and typically the answer itself will tell you everything you need to know about how much thought they've given this subject. If they say, oh, no, 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 nothing can go wrong, they answer a different question. If they say these are the things that can go wrong, but we can mitigate risk, they have been thinking about this question very well. So a couple of things you can do uh, to, to challenge uh, experts while at the same time focus on their strength. Right. I like that because you're not fighting with them or trying to disprove them. You're, in fact, trying to draw out more of their knowledge and also check and see if they just made a knee-jerk reaction <laughs> and folks yeah we definitely don't want to rely on dogma right uh, any anything that's because this is the way we do it around here is yeah. uh, dangerous thinking right okay 
let's talk about coaching when you're not a subject matter expert. We touched on this slightly. Um, let's talk about some high performance processes and behaviors. Yeah. Um, now, now, if if uh, uh, and and that, that that's that's if you look at high uh, high performance high performance experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, high performance experts want to improve, uh, there are typically two ways of doing it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first way is to uh, focus on those behaviors which will help them to take the next step. Okay. And the reason is that if you uh, if you look at the difference between uh, in, in leadership huh, between the good leaders and the best leaders, it's not about subject matter. It's not about expertise. Uh, it's not about intelligence. But at a certain point in time, this difference is behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So it's behaviors which will drive the result. And if you want to coach experts, uh, it's about coaching on behaviors. Uh, for example, uh, coaching on on ownership. Uh, a subject matter uh, where are you owner and where do you play victim yeah and if you play victim what is it you can do to become more owner because this will help you to take the next step yeah uh, the second one we discussed that one is uh, playing to win versus playing not to lose yeah? where are you playing not to lose and uh, afraid to make a decision while you actually should be playing to win because this is an opportunity to take the next step so these are a couple of behaviors where you can help an expert uh, to grow. Yeah? So it's it's not on content, it's not even about process, but usually about behaviors and the mindsets there. So that's one part, helping behaviors. The second part uh, is to help them get rid of the behaviors which mask their strength. Mm. And that's often what you see with leaders, with professionals, and with, with, with experts. Now, what I mean by that is uh, uh, typically if people want to improve, uh, often the easiest way if is to get rid of those behaviors which holding them back. Mm-hmm. And I call those kryptonite behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kryptonite named after a kryptonite from Superman. He could do everything, but if he's close to the material kryptonite, he became very weak. So those are behaviors which mask your strength. Now, a couple of examples. Here's one, the yes, but. Uh, typically with experts and leaders, yes, but, which is a very impolite no. Right? Better is yes, and. A second one is uh, listening to reply. When people listen to reply, they have their own story in their head and they hijack the conversation as soon as something popped up. Better is to listen to understand. So teach them to listen to understand. A third one is adding too much value. Hmm. Uh, That's often what you see with experts. Uh, If if you ask a simple question, you receive a complete report. Yeah? And that's not what you're looking for as a boss. And that is adding too much value. So you need to teach them if, if there is a question, what is it you can do to be succinct and be able to answer that very question, right? Uh, fourth one is negativity. <laughs> We've done this before. It's not going to work anymore, uh. right? And the fifth one is excuses, right? Uh, I couldn't make it because the internet was down, the customer didn't answer, et cetera, et cetera. Well, excuses are not are not giving energy. No one is impressed by an excuse. We are impressed by results. So it's better to focus on your energy and getting results than trying to make up better excuses. So those are a couple of behaviors, kryptonite behaviors, which typically mask strength uh, of of experts and of course also of leaders. Okay, some some great points in there. I'm going to enjoy listening back to this. Uh, Paul, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last couple of years, since the last time we were able to record an episode, I have shared that episode again and again, because it's evergreen, right? This stuff doesn't get old. It doesn't 
go past an expiry date. It's always, always good. And, uh, and we need to be reminded of it or even um, shown that there are options here that, yeah. uh, that we're not thinking about. So smart people often disagree. Shocker, I know. Uh, I was on a call this morning, an industry call where two guys began shouting at each other, arguing about the nature of a third organization and each of them their own picture in their head about what this other organization was like. Uh, and finally, uh, somebody stepped in and calmed it down. I wasn't leading that call. I was just there as a participant. Um, and so what should you do? What do you recommend doing if the, the team has disagreements? Yeah, well, it, it, it's never a bad thing to have disagreements yeah, because uh -huh. there's friction. That's how teams yeah. grow. And so disagreement in itself is, uh, is, uh, is, is not a big deal. A couple of things will help in the thinking about disagreement. First of all, uh, understand what is the disagreement all about. And uh, typically you have two types of disagreements. Uh, the first one is about the goal. This is what to achieve. We want to achieve. Okay. And the second type of disagreement is the alternative to achieve the goal, right? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, now, if we disagree on the goal, it's much more fundamental than disagreeing about the alternative to achieve the goal. Uh, for example, if I want to fly to the US uh, or if I want to go to the US, I can use a plane, I can go by boat, I can even, I can even row uh, the, <laughs> crossing the Atlantic in my case. Uh, so these are all alternatives to go to the US. But the goal is itself is to go to the US. So typically, if the experts disagree, it's often about the alternative to achieve the goal. And that's a much easier discussion than a disagreement about the goal. So, so that's, that's one area where you can, uh, where you can focus on. Uh, the second area is uh, to challenge them uh, what would be a course of action uh, uh, which would be a consensus for both of you. So a route to solution, uh, which is acceptable for both of you. It might not be perfect, but it's acceptable for both of you. And this is how things come together, right? So that's, that's the second one. Uh, the third one uh, is, uh, is to, make, to make a distinction between success and perfection in this case. Are we arguing about perfect or are, you, are we arguing about good is good enough in this case? So what does the situation need in order to make that happen. So that's, I think, a third one, which is, which is a very interesting one. And, and, uh, and the fourth one uh, is, uh, is if I hire a third external, uh, external expert, what would he or she say, right? Mm -hmm. If I get the opinion there in, what would he or she say? And often that question already triggers a different type of discussion yeah, where people uh, see things from different perspectives. Yeah. And that, that helps to smooth, to smooth this type of conversation. Okay. Yeah, the last point there, whoo, that <laughs> really stood out to me. Uh, we've got siloized cultures out there with people with vested interests and that and trying to get them out of their rabbit hole and seeing something different. Yeah, that, there's a big challenge. Of, even remind, this goes back even in World War II, guys. Uh, the German guy in charge of the trains and the German general in charge of the trucks were two different people. And uh, the logistics were all messed up because of it. And if you could get them, thank goodness they didn't. But uh, if you could have gotten them together at a conference and done what Paul said here, look, what's the what's the solution that gets things done that's acceptable to both of you? You know that they might have performed better, right? Uh, so and it, so it's everywhere. It's not just uh, you know in uh, in business organizations or something. All right, Paul, let's, let's finish up with this um, succession planning, succession planning with smart individuals. Okay, we got the old genius in the corner there, 
<laughs> wise old man or maybe group of them right and they're gonna retire someday or they're gonna have a health issue or they're gonna want to sell the business or something you know uh what what are some actions that you can take uh hopefully before smart people leave uh or if you get stuck with it and uh, it's after what, what do you do yeah there are a couple of things you can do with with uh, with experts uh, the, the first one, and that's the obvious one, is to um, uh, to uh, maintain expertise by by bringing in people who start to adopt or build the expertise that you want to have in your organization. Uh, the master apprentice uh, uh, model, and that, that might be that might be an interesting approach of of doing this, and which requires some long term thinking because often it takes time to uh, to bring in an, an apprentice. The the, uh, the the other disadvantage of this one is that you rely on the apprentice staying there as an expert yeah. because if the apprentice one day says I'm leaving as well, then all of a sudden you have to start all over again. So that's that's one way of doing it. Uh, the second thing is asking yourself, do I need this expertise in the future? Right, because every expertise you have in house uh, was brought in house because of a reason uh, where the organization was or development or the goals at that time, and that reason might no longer be valid. You've got different goals, and so do I still need this type of expertise? You know, so that's the second question you need to ask yourself. The third, the third, the third you can do from a succession planning point of view uh, is to see if you can have this expertise in the outside world and the third okay. party. Is this something I can get access to in a very easy way? And often, when you when you look at the niche expertise, for example, in law or engineering, uh, you need to ask yourself: Does it make any sense to have it in house, or as long as I have a connection to people who know and can help me, then then, then let's go from there. And the fourth thing you can do is codify the expertise. Uh, mm. If this is the expertise. Uh, what are typical scenarios that you see problems you encounter? What is the standard solution of making that happen? And that's the holy grail of many knowledge organizations that they have a knowledge database. This is very tough to do, very difficult to do, uh, but perhaps in, in certain circumstances, it's something you can still, uh, you can still do and, uh, and approach. And so a couple of things you can do when it comes to, uh, comes to succession planning. Okay. So when do you think the trigger point is? to start thinking about this. Uh, it's, I would say, nearly all the time left too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, this starts with a question, uh, which is the question, if I look at my expertise, uh, my experts uh, in my team, and I look at the individuals, and I imagine a scenario, uh, today they win the lottery, and tomorrow they are in Hawaii, mm. right? Mm. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, happens, what happens to my team? What happens to my organization? What happens? Uh, what happens to to the strategic goals, what we want to achieve, right? And if the answer is not much, uh, then clearly uh, succession planning is not high priority. If the answer is uh, then we, we have one week left, right? Then succession planning becomes the top priority. So it starts with that question. Uh, simply looking at uh, winning the lottery, what happens with an organization? That's one. Yeah. And the second thing, if it is, if it is important enough, the second question is, uh, uh, if I want to have this expertise, how fast will I be able uh, to uh, to bring people up to speed to a level where they are operational and at least uh, can can provide input which will help the company further? And that that can be a timeline of a month, that can be a timeline of a year, sometimes even ten years, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's the second the second part of that puzzle uh, when you need to start with this kind of uh, kind of thinking. Yeah. Now, a word of warning here, um, uh, the, the organizations tend to think that um, 
um, that uh, no, that that many people are irreplaceable, right? Uh, but also what they say, yeah, the graveyard is filled with irreplaceable people. Yeah, so it is very rare that you encounter experts uh, which, which have such a huge impact on your business uh, or organization that it will fail if they are not there. It's very rare. Hmm. Okay, yes, folks, even uh, Robert Oppenheimer was kind of fired and removed he had his uh, top secret security clearance removed right. after after running the nuclear program yeah uh, i don't i don't agree with that but uh, that's what happened folks <laughs> so yeah uh, even einstein right uh, yeah. came and did his thing and then okay <laughs> life goes on right life goes on right very very interesting um yeah it, recently i've been learning about the history of darpa uh and some of the early scientists on there were people who uh, ran into radioactive substances in tiny amounts <laughs> rather early in life and didn't make it say much past the age of 50 because of these things and yet they were brilliant and and yet their names are forgotten also right uh, you only you only hear about them so um but I'm sure there was some kind of thinking going on there, some sort of succession planning. All right, Paul, well, this has been super informative, as always. Thank you. Uh, it has changed my mind about a couple things. Not a month goes by where I don't see at least a couple LinkedIn notifications from you where uh, today I'll be giving a speech to the great people at Insert Large Company here. <laughs> you know, or training them and stuff like that. Uh, and I think it's wonderful. I wish I had an organization large enough to warrant your involvement in it. Um, where can people go? How would you like them to find out more about you uh, and, and stick up their hand and say, hey, Paul, let's talk about bringing you in. Yeah, it, it's uh, a couple of things you can do. Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, www, uh, uh, the, the LinkedIn, Paul Rawlkins. Uh, if, you, uh, if you Google me, you will find me. Uh, so connect me, always nice to, uh, to be connected. And uh, the thing is on LinkedIn, I publish on a regular basis, mm -hmm. ideas, tools for high performance. So it's also a platform for me uh, to, to provide value. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, also there, I provide value. Uh, you can go to my website, www.paulrawkins.com. On my website, a lot of material about this type of thinking. You'll find my YouTube videos you can watch. Uh, blog posts you can read, but also you can subscribe to my uh, my newsletter. Uh, it's all, also uh, it's uh, it's on the front page of my newsletter. Uh, weekly basis, a little bit of tidbit uh, gets you thinking, uh, so so it helps you to uh, to uh, to apply very applicable material uh, when it comes to high performance. Uh, then uh, you can read my books. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, the Power of Preeminence is one. Uh, the other book I've written is uh, How Successful Engineers Become Great Business Leaders. Uh, which is for the techies, but also for the scientists. What is it? The method to the madness in order to uh, to to move. So, a couple of things you can do. Uh, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel uh, on a regular basis. I post small uh, two-minute videos with a couple of things that I explain, ideas that I explain, immediately applicable in uh, in making that happen. Uh, so, a couple of things you can do. Uh, but it's also about uh, always about engagement. So, more than welcome to engage with me if you want. Right. Yes. Once in a while, when I see something that I feel qualified to talk about, I enjoy sharing those thoughts uh, on one of Paul's threads and, uh, and yeah, he'll respond. All right, Paul, appreciate you doing this. Wonderful, Jason. All right. If you enjoyed what Paul and I had to talk about today, well, 
if you got a large organization, maybe consider hiring the guy. So go to YouTube and check out his TED Talks. He's had a couple of them. One's on the value of strategic quitting, which is something I've had to learn myself. You can't be and do everything, so how do you manage your energy so that you finish? As an old school marketing guy once shouted in a video, half done ain't done. 99% done, ain't done, and I've had to learn this over and over again. So the value of strategic quitting, and the other one is about the majority, is always wrong. <laughs> yeah, you are, and <laughs> explaining why. So go check that out. If you're a uh, department manager, uh, uh, a senior executive, or president founder, or something like that of a space or defense firm, and you're sick and tired of internal friction, you know, red tape, silo thinking, people not trusting one another in your organization enough. Uh, and this is often manifested in extremely slow uh, movement, right? Can't get anything finished. Come talk to us at Cold Star Tech. Everybody seems to think it's, it's only in my crazy company. No, it's widespread. It's uh, rampant out there. Anyway, come talk to us at Cold Star Tech. And uh, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.